What's up, world? I'm your host, Angelica Beener, and welcome to Milestones, a new podcast where my special guests and I discuss and unpack landmark albums that are in a milestone year. So happy September. I cannot believe that fall season is upon us. Uh, Where the time has gone, I have no idea, but it was great to have a little break. And I am really excited to be back and reconnecting with you my wonderful listening audience. Uh, It's almost back to school time. And I thought with that being the case, there is no better time to talk to my favorite back to schooler. My special guest for today's episode is someone I am a huge fan of. He is a wonderful musician. He's a gifted drummer and producer and budding music historian. I'm telling you, he's a deep one. He is my youngest guest to date, but do not be fooled by his age. He is such a sagacious little human uh, with an incredible future ahead of him. I am proud to say he has produced so many beats. He is a funky drummer who can swing and boom bap with equal ease. He is a walking music encyclopedia and has been for years with Perfect Pitch and is literally the funniest and wittiest human being I know. Most of all, his love and respect and reverence for music is a marvel. Please give it up for my favorite guest, my favorite person, Riley Kirkland Glasper. Riley, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. I just, I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you. You know, so I kind of want to jump right in this with you. This episode's milestone album is Jay Dilla's Welcome to Detroit. And I don't know a bigger Jay Dilla devotee than you. So it was only fitting that you join me. So again, I just want to thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Now, before we get into Welcome to Detroit, which turned 20, earlier this year, I'd love for you to talk to me a little bit about Jay Dilla. Uh, How did you personally come to Jay Dilla and then sort of subsequently fall in love with his music? Can you walk me through that experience? Uh, I I remember I was at a show and they were playing Fall in Love by Slum Village and I was like, whoa, like this is dope. So So I asked my dad like, what? what is this song? It was like fall in love. And I was like, I immediately went to YouTube and I was like, what? This is so dope. And I just got into Slum Village and, you know, like Fat Cat and, you know, all of the, all of Jay Dilla's associates, you know, I, I just dug deep into them, you know, and, and then I just got big into like his beat tapes and like compilation CDs and it's just been like, a Jay Dilla collector, like rare material. And yeah, so I just started digging into his like collaborators and like his associates and like so many people who he's worked with and, you know, just 
a lot of his main collaborators that are working like Frank and Dank and Fat Cat and you know all of them you know so wow so hearing fall in love it was it was that song that took you down this rabbit hole of all of this other Dilla work and his collaborators and things so what was it about fall in love do you remember like, what was it about that song in particular um and first of all what album is that from or what is that from Fan it's from fantastic volume two um okay. by slum village um released in 2000 okay um, and what was it about fall in love that made you fall in love with jay dilla um I mean, it wasn't even the beat, it was just the live version that caught my eye. And I was like, I love the drums. I like love how the and you know, I just love the composition, like how every everything complemented itself. And it was such a simple, like it's a simple beat, like it's a loop, but basically, and but it's just still like, you know it doesn't feel like a loop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and then like, um, the sample is a uh, Gap Mangione, um, Dying in an Autumn Wind. So, and, and, and then I just dug into that beautiful sample. And oh, okay. I wanted to ask you, um, before Jay Dilla, what kind of music had you already established as part of your sort of musical lexicon? And then how did Jay Dilla sort of enhance that music that you already knew? Um, well, I was big into like rock music and like, I was kind of getting into soul a, a, a little bit, but I was big on the rock, um, like the Beatles, Queen, um, I like Led Zeppelin too, um, Nirvana. Amazing. Chuck Berry. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's really the music, you know, lexicon that I had. Mm -hmm. um, but then like when I, um, when I just dug deep into Jay Dilla and his catalog, it was like, wow. It introduced me to so much more music. And Jay, and like his, his music, put me in like, kind of like a, kind of like a world of like uh, other producers. Like I got to find out so many other producers like Pete Rock and like Ninth Wonder and Premiere. Well, I already knew who, you know, I, I was a Premiere fan, but I wasn't like big, big on Premiere, but yeah. Like music just put me on to so many artists and his music just enhanced it further. Wow, amazing. That's 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 amazing. Most people consider Jay Dilla a producer's producer. You know what I mean? What is it about for you? What is it about Jay Dilla that is so organic in terms of the producer element? Yeah. Um as a producer like little things that he did in his beats will go over the average person's head like like you won't pick up oh like he added like a like a pause right here or you know he filtered he like filtered the sample here he you know 
and just knowing how he made the beat though because there's so many stories on it like a beat can be good and you'll be like okay that's dope but what makes a beat like genius is like if you know the backstory on how he made it like let's say he made this beat on doing a handstand or something (laughs) (laughs) you know like that's genius but you know it it just depends like on what like the backstory of the beat was you know but that's really it yeah so sometimes you're saying the history behind what was going on during the creation of the music is kind of what also adds to yeah and he was just so ahead of everybody else um he was doing tricks in his beats that like only I could say only one other producer might have been doing, which was Madlib, which was his future collaborator, which he did the um Jalib Champion sound. With mm. mm-hmm. And you know, and a few other songs, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know like the last, you know, a few years of his life, he was big into he was doing a lot of Jalib tours and like, you know. Now he what's Jalib? Jalib is a um is a duo of Madlib and Jay Dilla. Um, they formed in two thousand and one. It's actually a funny story. So, Madlib was uh was like rapping over like bootleg Jay Dilla beats on like CDs, um, just like just two tracks, just rapping over them. Loads of beats. <laughs> you you I'm I'm sure you can find on it like on the internet now, but. He was rapping over like so many Jay Jay Dilla beats and like making bootleg CDs. So then Jay Dilla just just like he, he you know he gave him a call and was like, "What's, what's going on?" And then he was like embarrassed a little bit. And then, <laughs> and then Dilla was just like, you know, it, I mean, let's let's just make an album if you know if, if this is what you you just want to do. Let's like make it official. So it just turned into that. That's amazing. So and literally, Jlib was both of them rapping on like beat CDs, like um, in um, 2002. They were just rhyming over each other's beat CDs, and that's how Jlib came apart. Like I don't think like, no studio booths, no none of that. It was just them straight sending beat CDs through the mail, and then them just sending it over or whatever. So there's no. Wow. What a story. Wow, I did not know this. So speaking of them, speaking of them rhyming, right? Because, you know, a lot of times people who are known for one thing can kind of get, you know, sort of pigeonholed or categorized as this one thing, right? And especially when you're really, really special, in this particular area as Dilla was as a producer. But to your point, he was also an MC. Um, what do you think about Dilla as an MC? And where do you think, what do you think the conversation around Dilla should be as it pertains to him being an MC in particular? How he was just, it was just raw and like just like dirty. And it was very you know, different, um, you know, I don't think people should just put him in a category, you know, of course he was a producer, like that's what he was best at, but the rhymes was, you know, the rhymes were nasty too, like, 
like um, Thelonious featuring Common is probably my favorite um, track. Um, Ooh, of, yeah. Of, uh, yeah, of him rhyming. Um, and I think it's the best example of his rhyming capabilities. Um, Dilla also just had like a dope voice, like the quality of and sound of his voice, I think is one of the dopest ever. Just the quality, the quality of his tone. I think it was like perfect for an MC. Yes. Did, did, yeah. Just, just his cadence um, and just how he spoke and how he put it into his rhymes was just really, really dope. And like where he fit it, you know, where he fit it. So like mm. he wasn't exactly like straight on beat. Like his 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 raps were unquantized too, like his beats. Oh wow. And, and I think Slum Village definitely pioneered that, like you know, not really just <laughs> pioneered. Okay, you talking to a Bronx girl right now. So <laughs> No, 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 no. But I'm just saying, like, they just pioneered, you know, not, you know rapping like literal words like just the feeling like how it feels matters not just the technical parts you know like sometimes they wouldn't say like exact words or whatever they wouldn't say like you know proper language it was like they had their own language yeah because around 2001 this is when dilla becomes like a bona fide solo artist right yes which i think is phenomenal because a lot of times especially in my time you know the producer played a certain position and it wasn't always like an out front position i would say pete rock you know would be one for sure marley mall before that but the producer had like a particular place so like do you think D dilla sort of reimagined what the producer producer artist hybrid could look like and could be yeah yeah i mm -hmm. think he definitely like pushed it further mm -hmm. i think p rock is the is the pioneer for that um because dilla studied p rock from head to toe <laughs> yeah he, he he even said like all the time and like yeah so then when they finally met like, you know, they traded some records, some techniques, and, you know, Pete, you know, Pete Rock um, used some of J. Dilla's, uh, you know, his equipment and all that type of stuff. So I think that Pete Rock was really the pioneer for, like, what a producer can be and not just the person behind the beat, but they can also become this artist within themselves. Like, they don't have to be, oh, I'm a producer for this person. Like, I can be an actual artist and still do what I do. You know, I, I don't have to be a rapper. Like a, a producer can be like just a upfront like celebrity or, or like someone who is like a structured artist who can make albums by themselves, you know, who can, you know, make compilations and just be a, a figure in hip hop history. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite Dilla collaborations and what artist or, you know, pro uh, producer credits are among your favorites? So like, 
let's start with the collaborations. Like just what are some of your Dilla, what favorite Dilla collaborations? And then what are some of your favorite Dilla songs that uh, he produced for other artists? Okay. Well, probably my favorite collaborator. Mm, this is a hard one. Some great beats went to Frankendink. And like some great songs Frank and Dink made like um, 48 Hours, um, which, which is an album that Jay Dilla completely produced um, in 2003. Um, and I think that's my favorite. I think Frank and Dink's my favorite artist that Jay Dilla has collaborated possibly. Wow. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, so who else? Who else would you say after Frank and Dink? Hmm. I know they didn't. Oh, Slum Village, definitely. Mm -hmm. Slum Village. Yeah. He, Slum Village might tie or could possibly be above um, Frankenden, but Slum Village is just, you know, something special. Just the way that that's how it, he started, you know? Yeah. And like Slum Village got the best of both worlds. Like they got early, early Dilla and they got like the, the later, the later Dilla where he started getting like just ev evolving like every single day. That is special. That is special. And then what are some of your now this is I know this is going to be a hard one, but what are some of your favorite Jay Dilla credits? Ah, <laughs> maybe Stakes is High is one of them. Okay. Um, I also love um, Takes is High by De La Soul. By De La Soul, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Um and uh I love this song called um Concrete Eyes by um Elzai. Okay. Um and when did Dilla produce that? Uh well the song came out in 2004, but um that song, um like the beat is from one of um, Jay Dilla's um, beat tapes from 2002. Okay. So I'm assuming they recorded in like 2003. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about this because you have this incredible ability to recall history in terms of uh, chronology. You know, I, I find it fascinating. So how what is your approach to retaining all of this information you are a budding music historian you know do you want to share and if you don't it's okay you know but um what are some of your approaches when you when you take a deep dive into really researching an artist you know what is that like for you oh probably just listening to it often, like every, every single day, I, mm -hmm. you know, I listen to it. And within about a week, I can name every single track um, on a, you know, a body of work, you know, at, you know such as an album, a, a you know, a, a mixtape, a beat tape, mm -hmm. um, all of those. So I think that um, that's probably about it. And it's, you know, it's also natural too, how I just gotcha. take in information. And yeah. I just, 
I don't know what it does, but I definitely know a lot of things just by listening to it all the time, very often, every single day, every single day. Wow. From the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. just so just sort of immersing yourself in it, right? Um, what was the first Jay Dilla album that you checked out? So I know you said, you know, you heard Fall in Love. It sent you down this amazing path of exploring Dilla and everything that he opened up to you. But what was the first complete Dilla album that you checked out? Mm. Solo? Donuts. Donuts. Donuts was the first? Definitely. Wow. Okay. So it's interesting because the first solo work you heard was his last. It was, it was a blend of fantastic volume two and donuts basically at the same time. (laughs) I was just deep diving into, you know, both, both of those albums and at the same time myself at basically at the same time. Mm -hmm. So was there a particular reason why you started with those two albums or? No, just in the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was scrolling around on like iTunes or something like that. And I was like, what is Donuts? Like, what is this? And I was like, oh, Jay Dilla, here's this guy again. And I was like, wow, okay, let's, this, is, this, this is probably gonna be fire. And I was like, instrumental hip hop album. And I was like, okay, let's just see what this is all about. I first turned on working on it. I was like, (laughs) I was so surprised. I was like, this is dope. Then I was like, okay, it's, you know, it's really cool. And then I just dug in and then I was like, wow. It blew your mind, huh? The track that probably did it for me was Donut of the Heart or um, Don't Cry. How does Donut of the Heart go? Uh, it's the um, Michael Jackson All I Do Is Think Of You oh I love that one yes yeah I just love how it was chopped and it was and it was time stretched and like basically what time stretching is is like um, you change the tempo of a sample mm-hmm. without changing the pitch ooh okay so it kind of makes a distorted sound, but it's dope in, in, in the way that it does that. Right, right, right. So it stays in the same key, but it it uh, is sped up, so, mm-hmm. so to speak. Got it. And, and is that a particular Dilla technique? Is that something that he sort of uh, perfected or, you know, made his own or, you know, in your in your opinion? I would say that Madlib made it his own. Madlib is the king of time stretching, in, in my opinion. And God. like that crossover really changed Dylan's music for the better. You know, that crossover, like J-Lib was, you know, I, 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 I believe in the making of Donuts, J. Dylan was at his peak. Wow. Like I mean, around that-, that era, like, mm-hmm. two, you know, like two, 2005, um, I think that was his peak, definitely. Wow. I mean, it just makes it that much more uh, hard to digest, you know, that he he wasn't long for this earth, 
when he was at his artistic peak? One of his biggest peaks, I, I, I would definitely say. One of them, yeah. yeah. Early Dilla may be the maybe the biggest peak, but mm-hmm. late Dilla was like <laughs> just like the 2005 batches, like like his like his just his beat tapes in 2005 were like really dope, and I could hear Madlib definitely in them. Like Madlib influenced Jay Dilla a lot. Mm, okay, that that's. You know, from the obscure samples to the time stretching to the, you know, messiness, you know, like just embracing imperfection kind of. Now, embracing imperfection. So, you know, because you are an extremely talented up and coming producer in your own right, does Dilla's approach, you know, Mad Lib's approach, do these producers who seem to really perfect imperfection, if you will. Um, does that, do you take that philosophy into your own producing? You know, are you, are you concerned about everything being perfect and right? Do you adopt that philosophy as well? Yes, but, you know, you, you still have to keep it polished. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, it can't just be like, just madness and be like, this, this is obscure. <laughs> you know, you know it, it should be like, you know, still keep it polished, but you can definitely have fun with it. You know, it doesn't have to be so like robotic, quantized or whatever, you know. Right, exactly. You, like have exactly. a 10 second beat that just comes in on a tape and just fades out slowly. Yeah. You know? So I think Madlib and Dilla are just the kings of that. Like that era, like two, you know, like 2002 to like two, 2006, the J-Lib era was just. So how often did they collaborate? How many projects did they work on together? One technically. Okay. Um, But like I said, you know, Madeline was rapping over those bootleg Dilla CDs, you know. Right. Bootlegging them. Um, but I think, there's like this album that came out not too long before Dilla passed called um, J-Lib Outtakes. And it's, and it's basically just the outtakes of the album. Mm-hmm. Some of the songs from J-Lib Outtakes are the, are the demos that Madlib made over the Dilla CDs. Oh, interesting. And, you know, too, so. So now you said when you heard, when you saw Donuts or Donuts came across your screen or whatever you were doing and you said um i noticed that you lit up when it said you know instrumental hip-hop album is your being a drummer is your being a musician yourself um did it speak to that part of you was that part of the allure that hip-hop could also be uh instrumental and it could be that musical yeah because like just think of jazz like it starts there you know on how everything was just instrumentals 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 and like pete rock and jd and madlib really just pushed that into Mm hip-hop like making instrumental hip-hop records pete instrumentals you know that influenced me a whole lot 
instrumentals, um, Madlib Shades of Blue, and and the Mad Villain, um, and, and the Mad Villain instrumental album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really was just like, wow. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I would be remiss not to mention that Dilla's album, The Shining, is also celebrating a milestone this year. It turned 15. Um, do you want to share some thoughts about that album before we get into Welcome to Detroit? Yes. Yeah, so I think The Shining was the last piece of work, an album that Jay Dilla ever finished. And like he didn't technically he didn't finish it um, because he was still in the works of it when he passed. But he gave the production to um, Kareem Riggins, and he finished the whole album. Mm. Now, Kareem Riggins, that's a name that uh, we know well. He's a, a friend of, of yours and mine. Um, talk to me about how Kareem fits into the Dilla story. And what about Kareem Riggins' um, you appreciate as a producer musician kareem riggins is a big name when it comes to um welcome to detroit um he's on um like i i think it's the alternate cover of it um yeah so he had a lot to do with welcome to detroit um he i i think the role that kareem riggins played in in um in dilla's life is that you know the drums some of your favorite Della tracks are probably Kareem Riggins drums. <laughs> it was just crazy how he could just layer those drums over those like melodies that Della would make, like with you know samples and all of that type of stuff, and just how they in how they influenced each other, you know, just using electronic synths and you know different elements to like push their beats to the next level. So I think Kareem definitely influenced Dylan when it comes to um, his drum work and like jazz and you know Kareem would give Dylan records um, mm-hmm. and Dylan would make beats out of them yeah so I think I I think Kareem was a big contributor to um just Dylan's catalog it's funny you say that because I remember watching this interview this Pete Rock interview and he was talking about meeting Dilla and getting to know him and them starting to work together and stuff and how Dilla would put him on to a lot of like 80s stuff, a lot of like um, these like rock bands or, you know, these sort of alternative bands and things like that. And surely, you know, you know, Dilla obviously knew something about, you know, jazz and stuff, but Pete was really like the jazz connoisseur sampler and so it's interesting that you know you're talking about Kareem you know sort of supplementing that part of Dilla's you know depth and breadth of you know adding that you know the jazz element to what he was doing because that that just broadened him you know so much you know he had you know he had the bossa nova and you know all the you know so, so many of these bands that i've learned about actually through your deep dive into dilla it sort of has taken me on the road with you you know and i'm hearing about these bands that i've never heard of you know these european bands and stuff it's like who is this you know but it's so interesting that you know i think you're right you know kareem you know played a big part 
in in bringing the jazz element to to Dilla and um well okay so what would be one of your favorite more jazz uh and I know Dilla would you know was also really famous for he might have four or five different he might have a bass from one record and a and a, and a you know you know a, a cello from another record a, a you know a, a chord progression from another record but like what are some of the tunes that you like that felt more jazz influence mm. wow uh probably stakes is high mm -hmm. by by de la soul and um another amajama sample um it's from this uh it's it's from this beat tape that um that Dylan made in nineteen ninety six called oh, wow. the nineteen ninety six What Up Doe Sessions and and it, and it featured a lot of beats that Tribe used and like so many other people used but I think that it's it's this uh beat called Ahmad impresses me and um oh wow and uh it's it's really really dope. <laughs> You're gonna have to you're gonna have to play that for me when we're when we're yeah. done here. I want to hear it. That stakes is high sample is such an iconic, you know, Ahmad Jamal sample. What what is that song and what what album is it from? Um, um, it's this uh, it's the song called um, Swahili Land. Mm, mm hmm. Yeah, and I think it's one of uh, Ahmad Jamal's, you know, one of his most most beautiful tracks. Mm -hmm. ever and I don't think it's been sampled like that many times before Dilla did it or I, I I think he was the first one to sample that song so I think just how he used it and just mm -hmm. the drums they like knock and just how the bass drops and then just the way he filters the sample um lowers the frequencies a little bit mm. I think that's just really dope it gives me anthem vibes the way he utilized that sample it's a great example of um black frustration in the 90s with the police and the government and how just you know e how economically they were treated and just how you know how deep the oppression was and still is Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's important to mention. I'm really glad you brought that up. It wasn't simply just a great track, but the lyrical content was profound. You're absolutely right. So, okay. So welcome to Detroit is 20, right? So when did you first hear welcome to Detroit? Because, you know, you started out with donuts and um, fantastic volume two. When did you hear welcome to Detroit? And what did what how did it move you? How did you feel about it? Welcome to Detroit. I, I, I believe I stumbled upon it on YouTube or Apple Music, something like that. Um, so, you know, something along the lines of there. And I was just like, wow, this this album's dope. But I never would really like it was never it in the beginning it was my favorite. Okay. But it rose to be like, wow, this is super dope. Just uh, in, just just the instrumentals to that album, just it's crazy. Cause like set up, okay, set up two thousand one for me, right? As it pertains, so so welcome to Detroit comes out two thousand one. Where is Dilla in his career? What's happening? Like, what's happening at this time? 
Well, it was his first solo album. Um, and um, like his first official solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was his first, it was a first album that um, he had the name Jay Dilla under. That's when he oh. changed his name. Okay. That's when he changed his name. Um, it switched from JD to Jay Dilla um, because um, I actually know the story. Um, Common gave that name to him. Really? Like, um, yeah, like when he would come to the studio, he would say Jay Dilla, you know. So they were just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. That's amazing. So Welcome to Detroit is before or after like Water for Chocolate? You gotta remind me. It's after. It's after, okay. So by now he has done, you know, this brilliant work with Common. It's probably around that time, right? That he got that name, maybe during those sessions, who knows? Yeah, like Voodoo and Mama's Gun by Erykah Badu and, you know, so many other records, like the whole Soul Quarian, Neo Soul um, revolution was uh-huh. really like it was really in its prime and like it was really really like rising up on everybody interesting got it so so okay this makes sense because when i listen to welcome to detroit i hear some of those elements you know what i mean i hear some like think twice think twice right like you know which is okay so i'm gonna put you on the spot do you remember the sample of that song or maybe i'm like giving you something very easy it's donald um it's uh it's donald bird think twice yes exactly donald bird the great 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 donald bird um and that he does with you know duele right who's who's coming up in that whole like you said that neo soul camp the sample was replayed um, it wasn't even, like chopped; it was just replayed. Um, oh, so um, actually, Dwelle was on um, keys, um, um, on the keys on that track, and um, maybe trumpet she, too. I think. Yeah, yeah, he, he was on trumpet also, mm-hmm. and um, Dilla was just on the drums, live drums, live drum kit. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, the sample was um, replayed. So how good of a drummer was Jay Dilla, would you say? He was good. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just a nice thing to have to just be able to walk into a studio and be like, okay, we might not want you to like chop a drum break or, mm-hmm. you know, program, you know, some drums, but can you like lay down some live drums for us? You know, I, I think it was just like something nice that, something that he could have in his pocket yeah for sure and yeah he was a good drummer just just by the way he programmed drums you can already tell that he was just a drum god wow yeah so so for welcome to detroit do you know what equipment he used to produce this record like do you know any of the backstory on like you know what elements he was using so clearly you know he was using live drums um do we know like what kind of like drum machines he was using yes okay he was using the um mpc 3000 okay and um live instruments from you know from other people um kareem riggins drums which kareem riggins played on us you know some of those tracks um yeah so i think those were really this the elements you Mm -hmm. know and 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 of course the turntable to sample 
Mm-hmm. But a lot of those samples, I think I find it like really cool how like instead of just chopping them and like adding drums, I think that a lot of those samples were replayed. Wow. Okay. I did not. You see, I didn't know that. Like Rico Suave Bossa Nova. Yes. That, that was replayed. Okay. Um, yeah. So the backstory on that is um, Kareem uh, Dilla asked, like, he wanted some Bossa Nova, like some, like those type of tracks. And Kareem Riggins gave him that record. And, and they just went from there. Wow. You know, what's so funny. So in, in my day, when I was about your age, actually, there was this song. Oh my gosh. I can't remember the guy's name, but it the song was called Rico Suave. And it was like, it was like the corniest pop cheese MTV song. It was like, it was so bad, but it was a huge it was a hit forgive me if if mr rico suave if you're listening i forgot the cat's name but the song went the hook went like rico. oh yeah and he goes rico suave <laughs> the cool thing about it was that it was like a bilingual song so you know he you know was rapping in spanish and stuff but like it was just you know he was doing the running man with these tight jeans oh. and like a motorcycle jacket and bandana i mean it was so very 1990 um but I wondered, you know, because Dilla, you know, is not that much older than me. So I'm like, wow, I wonder if like the Rico Suave thing is like an ode to the, <laughs> the Rico Suave. Possibly, possibly. Be, right? Possibly. But he wanted to do uh, a Bossa Nova kind of thing. And and then we know, we know that, you know, he had dabbled in Bossa Nova before because, um, you know, one of my favorite Dilla joints uh is uh running far side yeah. but yeah by the far side that has the um uh is it it's stan it's a stan get sample yes. right I'm, okay yeah. oh gerardo that was the guy's name i was trying to think of oh. his name was gerardo uh came out in like 91 but anyway um no it's okay um so yeah i think i think that was really special Mm-hmm. On how they just in how they just influence each other on on the sample selection. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you have a favorite song on Welcome to Detroit? There's a I know you said uh you love the Frank and Dank stuff. And so he has that song Pause. Yeah. You know. That's not my favorite. My favorite probably has to be Shake It Down. Ah, nice. And why would that be your favorite? The sample. What's the sample? Um, Bob Skaggs. Oh, Boss Skaggs? Yeah, yeah. I love Boss Skaggs. Yeah, sorry, I said it wrong. But, um, no, 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 it's fine. But I think that, like, just the, uh, the drums and, like, just the way he filtered it, you know, it, it was just special. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I love on there also uh, African rhythms. Mm, yeah, these are Balau, Balau, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that that sample was also replayed. Really? Yes. Oh wow! 
So, so other than Kareem, do you know who, and, and, you know, Dwele on that one track, do you know what other musicians he had employed to work on this record? Hmm. I know Frank did like clave on something like, <laughs> like, you know, just a shake something or something like that, but no, there was not really anybody else really. So when they replayed this stuff, Dilla was, Dilla was replaying it. Yeah, I think it was like maybe like a bass, maybe like a bass player, or mm-hmm. maybe he grabbed another bass part, or maybe he played bass himself. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe the bass isn't replayed, but the drums definitely are replayed. Right. Replayed. So, so I think it just took a lot of creativity and a lot of structuring. Like, how can I in, enhance this and like make it a fun fact? Oh, hey, look, I you know I replayed this part, or or you know I replayed this song, or. Hmm. No. So what what other songs on this album, um, you know, really stick out for you? So, you know, it's it's sixteen tracks. I mean, this is this is you know it's interesting because it's Dilla's, like you said, it's his coming out. And, you know, he's establishing himself as a solo artist, but yet he doesn't rely on like a million features. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's really like giving you, you know, himself and, and calling it Welcome to Detroit, I think is also really interesting because it's like him putting Detroit on the map for hip hop, you know, which we, we don't readily think of Detroit, you know what I mean? Basically, basically every feature is someone from Detroit if you think about it like um and I think that what am I another track that stands out to me is um it's uh it's like that yeah that track is just dope and I think like and it has like the guitars like it's just funky how like the how the drums are like it's not too many kicks, not too many, you know, swings, just like at least so much room for everything. So I think that with like with the guitar sample, I think it was dope. And then the outro on that track, it's insane. The beat almost has like a, like a Billie Jean simplicity to it. You know what I mean? You know how like when you hear Billie Jean come in those, those you know, that, that Indugu Chancellor brilliance you know it's so just iconic but it's the simplicity that makes it iconic i i get what you're saying with that yeah like it's simple but not easy you know mm-hmm. yeah you know to i mean to some people people might be like oh that's easy or whatever but for others you know it, it, it may not be you know just like find that sample and just like put it together like it's so dope how you know how simple it is like it just leaves room for so much yeah exactly it you know grabs you and it's just raw like how the yes. i think that track is really special for those reasons what about come get it mm. not one of my favorite not one of my favorite favorite tracks but it's a dope track mm-hmm. yeah it's nice it's nice I think it's one of L's eyes. 
greatest rhymes possibly ever besides um reunion which is this song by um slum village um and uh uh produced by black milk ah another really really dope detroit producer so i think that elzai just snapped on that record like he just he just went went off on that song he just bars on top of bars you know on um on um come get it yeah 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 um bbe yes <laughs> yeah and that's kind of like crazy because the label is um bbe exactly it's, it's called bbe right yeah. yeah it came out on bbe records yeah which yeah. is a great uh sort of boutique specialty label that's put out yeah great great content over the years they've been far as i'm concerned very consistent i think dilla was just shifting into like his electronic like type of you know era in that song just 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 how it goes like it's so electronic with all those synths and like and like the robot voice like like it's dope and then the and then the drums are nice and fat and like just electronic so i think you know wow so you can hear sort of where he's going you can hear little hints of what's to come on something like what would you say like donuts ah not even donuts there's this um album um posthumous album that Mm -hmm. came out in 2015 called dillatronic and it was a compilation of like a bunch of Dilla beats from like from Dilla beat CDs. Some that like rappers rapped over while you know while he was still alive. But it's a it's a compilation of kind of like kind of electric in inspired beats mm-hmm. and you know synths and Moog and you know like the Moog synthesizer that he used. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. What and a lot of those beats and and a lot of those beats fun fact are from 2001 that um that ended up on Delatronic. Really? Detroit, yeah. So 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 2001 seems to be a very pivotal important year for Jay Dilla for a lot of reasons as a solo artist um for the work he's producing as part of the you know Soquarian conglomerate if you will. <laughs> And then also sort of, you know, like you said, we, we're hearing, it's always fascinating to me, you know, I love, you know, say like John Coltrane or something like that. And when I can hear hints of, it's always really fascinating to sort of, at least artistically, kind of get into their mind and see like what corner they're about to turn. Mm. And, and, and I feel like it seems like 2001, you know, you t- correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, it seems like it was that kind of a year for him where he, you can, you can glean what's to come, so to speak. Totally. Totally. Is this his most R&B record? I mean, it's not an R&B record at all, but like, I guess I'm trying to say, is this album the most R&B friendly of his catalog, would you say? Yes. 
R&B and soul, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, jazz. It was a mix of so many things. Like I can't even even put it in the hip hop category, really. Mm -hmm. So it's such a blend of like different types of genres, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So what what do you think is uh, if you had to sort of synthesize everything we've been saying, because we've kind of been breaking the album down track by track. But what would you say in the the Jay Dilla story? Right. If we look at his body of work as a solo artist, what would you say is the most significant thing that a listener should be? thinking about when they listen to Welcome to Detroit? Having have an open mind. Not even that, but just get ready for the music. Like <laughs> just the intro, like the Yeah. So I think that like, it's just insane. So I just like, just get ready. It's you're, it, it, it's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. And, um, you know, I, I want to just, you know, sort of close this out by asking you what if I know this is going to be it's, it's going to it's hard for me to ask. And I know it might be even harder for you to answer. But um, first of all, I'm so happy that Jay Dilla had a landmark two landmark albums in 2021 so that I would have an opportunity to talk about him and an opportunity to talk to you in particular about him. Um, As someone 12 years old, you know, getting into Jay Dilla, I mean, I think that's beautiful. Um, What is it about Jay Dilla's legacy that you think will endure into your lifetime, way way into your adulthood and and that kind of thing. What what is it about Dilla that will stand the test of time as far as you're concerned? Cause you you got, you know, you you've been here for 12 years, you know what I mean? And he's been gone for how many years now? Um 15. 15 years. Yeah. So like, but he he remains so important so what is it about dilla that is so enduring that he could reach you and your generation his music is timeless it's so great and i can pay it to people who are still keeping it alive like like the jay dilla foundation um Mm -hmm. you know um, they're keeping it alive like People like, you know, I, I, I'd have to give big props to Ma Dukes and like, um, and like Busta and, you know, Talib Kweli and, you know, even my own dad who pushed the legacy alive and keep it, you know, still alive so that it never runs out. So like nobody will ever forget the importance and the legacy of Jay Dilla. And I think that's what the foundation's really trying to do is it's really trying to push it further with the music tech grant. Um, I, I think it's very important that they teach our new generation on like, give us even the tools to make music, you know, cause some kids yes. have, enough to have tools. 
Yes. The music tech grant um, that the J. Dilla Foundation has um, to pair with public schools um, around the you know, around the nation to help them, you know, and with tools and just teach them about how to become a music producer and like how to become a musician, you know. So I think that is very very important. Oh, absolutely. So I, so I think that's a big part of why it's touched so many people because so many people are keeping it alive. Wow. You know, I, I, I didn't really think about that component. You know, even in when I was asking you that, I, I really didn't think about that part because you're right. There's, you know, the music is one thing, but it can't, it can't live on its own. It has to be kept alive like that's an active thing that needs to happen so wow that's that's a you know that is so beautiful that you would um bring that to my consciousness and to the you know to our listeners consciousness you know I gotta admit I didn't think about it from that particular standpoint you know my mind is thinking about records and catalog but yeah like like how does that stay thriving how does that work like like even Mad Lib and you know like Illa J, his you know his own brother, mm-hmm. they're really keeping the legacy uh, you know alive too you know and like just the tributes from everybody, and you know the um, events that take place. Um, I think mm-hmm. that, that's that that plays a big um, part. Because there's Dilla Fest, right? Dilla Fest is was a big one. Yeah, and there's just so many, just celebration moments that people do in Jay Della. So I think that keeps it alive for the younger generation. Amazing. Well, Riley, I gotta say you uh, have been a tremendous guest. I'm so grateful for your time, for coming on the show and sharing and educating. And, you know, do you want to tell the listeners what you have coming up, what you're working on, you know, sort of what you're doing right now, oh. other, other than starting school, <laughs> what else is going on? Oh, a lot of beats, a lot of collaborations with, their art, with, you know, other rappers and stuff like that. And a lot of, just a lot of beats coming. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Awesome. So listen. RKG, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you and love you. Thank you you so much. My pleasure. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, thank you guys for listening. And I hope you enjoyed. I know you enjoyed. Uh, I know I certainly did. And we will see you next time. Okay.